tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 30. Of all the things I love about Jesus, I think I love this the most. I can come to Him and pour out my heart and know that He cares. But even more than that, I can be assured that He understands. Jesus walked this earth. He lived in our human flesh, and He understands our weaknesses and our struggles. We don't have to fake it until we make it with God. But neither do we have to get stuck in our pain or the labels we sometimes unconsciously put on ourselves. In today's episode, Esther Fleece and I cover a lot of ground as we talk about ending the pretending and saying goodbye to the labels that limit us. Oh, it's such an honor to have with me today, Esther Fleece Allen. She is the author of two amazing books, No More Faking Fine and Your New Name. Esther has been called one of the five women to watch in religion by CNN and U.S. Today has named her one of the new faces of evangelicalism, and one of, and Christianity Today has called her one of the 50 women shaping the church of culture. Oh my goodness, I'm super honored to have you on, Esther. Oh, Joanna, it's an honor to be on. I've just admired your work for su- such a long time, and you have poured into women, Christian women, for decades. And so thank you. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for the fruit of your work. Ah, it's an honor. It's an honor. I love, I, I've i said this many times, I just love it when women let God do something in their hearts and then are willing to share it. And you are, you uh, girl have such an amazing story. And so we're going to kind of be bouncing probably back and forth a little bit between the two books, but I'd really love to start with your book, No More Faking Fine, Ending the Pretending, because I think I think that that's something a lot of women, um, they don't know what else to do, except just kind of fake it till they make it. Can you talk about what inspired that book? Sure. Well, um, goodness, the, the term fake it till you make it, I actually reference that in the book and I say that it's nowhere in scripture, but somehow I picked up that phrase even in high school. And I, I think I learned it when I was on the cheerleading team and we were going through motions. And if you couldn't remember it, you just had to fake it. And it was just a phrase that we would stand by is fake it till you make it. And I didn't realize how much that bled into my Christianity. And so when trials came and hardship came, I was just used to faking it till I made it. And I thought, you know, I used other cliches, like I'm too blessed to be stressed. And um, really, I was just hiding my pain because I didn't know what to do with it. So I share in the book, No More Faking Fine, really some of my hardest stories from um, being abandoned by um, my biological father. He had a mental illness and uh, left our family. And then my mother got remarried and that stepfather had an affair and left us. So that was dad too gone. And then my mother was just so broken that um, she ended up leaving me in my teenage years. And so really I found myself orphaned at the age of 13 and 14 years old. And I lived with families. Um, I was attending church, thankfully, and wonderful families would let me spend the night. (laughs) You know, I think um, if it would if it would happen nowadays, I think I probably would have been in foster care. But I was able to just live with different families and finish school. And then I started working for a church during my college years, and I went right into ministry. And 
I just thought that God wanted my strengths. You know, I, I read in scripture to not be anxious about anything. And I read to be joyful always. And so I took these to be gospel truth without recognizing the context in which they were written. You know, Paul says to be joyful always in the midst of prison. <laughs> and um, so I just, I, I was faking it, but not intentionally. And it was 20 years after my biological family left, I'm sorry, my biological father left our family. Um, he found my whereabouts and his mental state had deteriorated. You know, 20 years later, he refused any help. He, he always refused medicine and um, he began stalking me. And this was kind of in the height of my career. I was an international speaker. I was helping start ministries in other countries. And I was actually speaking on the importance of marriage and family. And I believed it to be true. But I was speaking out of my knowledge. I wasn't speaking from a place of healing. And so the stalking went on for several years. And I found myself in a counseling office. And I just, I was so confused. Like, I am trying to serve God. I am trying to do everything right. I'm trying to honor Him. And you know, I've been working for him for over a decade now, and I don't understand why my prayers aren't being answered. And the counselor and his wisdom said, you need to lament. And I never knew what that was. I had somehow missed it in mm. scripture, even though it is woven throughout scripture. Um, I missed this language of lament and connecting to God in the difficulty. And that's honestly what saved my faith is this lamenting prayer and realizing that God wants me to go to him with the hardships and the difficulties and the disappointments, and that there is a deep intimacy birth in those times. So the book is just um, kind of an outflow of that. I was uh, you know, in the counseling office for several years. It took me probably about 10 years to write the book. Um, and I felt like I was, I was doing it for my own faith, that my own faith would survive this um, this stalking and it did, thankfully. <laughs> um, but my goodness, a lamenting prayer is what saved my faith. So that's what the book is birthed out of. I love that. I love that. Why do you think, well, I think I I think we all probably know why we have this idea that um, God might be uncomfortable with our pain. And so we kind of live in denial of it. Or I think sometimes we swing to the other side and it completely defines us and we can't ever get past it. How did the lament allow you to get in touch with it, but then heal from it? Well, I love that question because I think we need to have the courage and the discipline to self-reflect and where we were first told to suck up our grief. And I think a lot of us... Um, you know, no matter what our different backgrounds are, we were told something in the middle of our grief or in the middle of a hard time, or maybe it was minimized or breezed over, or maybe we heard a Christian Christian cliche, but we were we were taught something of how to deal with grief and we began living out of that. You know, for me, I share a story when I was 10 years old and I was on the witness stand and I had to testify in a case that involved my mother and father. So they were on opposite sides of the aisle, and it was traumatic enough to see that. But then as I began answering the questions on the witness stand, my father's lawyer took out my diary 
And I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just 10 years old. What would have been in my diary that it should have been read in the courtroom? And uh, they brought it up to the witness stand and asked me to start reading out of it. And I just was so overcome with emotion and I felt embarrassed and humiliated. And I was angry at my dad for stealing my diary. And I couldn't believe no one was stopping this from happening. And so the judge in that moment, the judge stood up, literally stood up and says, you need to suck it up. Mm -hmm. And he tells me to suck it up right there in the middle of this trial and I, so that's when I would read scripture that God was a judge, I just thought that God was a judge like that. I thought God was like, get over it, Esther. You know, people have it worse. Get over it. Stop crying. Like you should be joyful always. You're supposed to always give thanks. Like you're supposed to be happy in times of trial. And, and I just, I took this judge's words as God's words to me. And I think most of us have something that was spoken to us in a painful time. And we've started living out of that. And so what I'm trying to do is to challenge the reader, you know, what did you believe to be true? And is that really what God says? Is that really how God responds to our pain? You know, in the second chapter, I talk about here's common coping mechanisms of minimizing and things like that. But we've got to identify where we started living a little bit off (laughs) um, in order to get on that path of healing. And for me, I never realized that that judge had so much power in my life decades later. And it wasn't until this counselor started going back with me to say, where did you think you had to suck it up? Where did that come from? That I realized that I was living out of his words and not God's words to me. Hmm, That is so, I think it's so important. I know the Lord, um, just kind of did some inner healing. I didn't hadn't even realized how much I needed it. And he took me back to a memory as a little girl um, where I bought into the lie that I had to be good in order to win people's favor. Mm. And, and the Lord's just like, okay, I want to heal you there. And I think all of us, you know, I definitely did not experience the trauma that you did, but I think all of us have bought into lies. And, and I think part of it is we don't, we don't want to be undone. We don't want to be undone. And I love your chapter one says, God wants our sad. Mm-hmm. And I have really over the last probably 10 years realized I can be real. I can be real about those places where I'm not okay that he's not threatened by it. I think that's the most beautiful thing when you read scripture. God was not threatened. You, you look at the book of Job and and the majority of it is Job's lament. Where where are you God? Why is this happening? Um and and really trying to process our pain. As you did that, as you kind of began to look back, what did that do for you to be able to get in touch with your sad and not hide it anymore? Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate what you shared about um, lies because I think we can really underestimate how much power they have in our life. And all of us have to daily fight against the lies of the enemy. And the, the thing is that lies become belief systems. And I think that's what we have to recognize. It's they're not just we don't need to minimize them anymore. You know, when I believe God didn't care for my pain, I didn't go to him with my pain. 
But what I found is that scripture, I mean, if you remove the laments from scripture, you would have a very thin Bible. <laughs> I mean, you, you see so many, I mean, I, I, I need to go through every single book and just record everyone that lamented, but I, I don't think there is a book in the Bible that doesn't include lament. You know, we even have the book of Lamentations, and really, the only thing you kind of hear if it, Lamentations is preached on, you hear the verse, great is your faithfulness. Well, let's look at the other chapters that is just a wreck. It's a mess. But I mean, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. Paul had a ministry of tears. Jesus wept. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. God lets us into his emotions. And so as I started opening myself up to really the emotions of God and the emotions of his people in the word of God, I realized if God doesn't keep his emotions from me, why am I working so hard to keep my emotions from him? Like, why do I think I can't go to him with my distress and my anger and my sadness? And not only that, but there's just a biblical model of how to lament, how we bring those things to him. And then he doesn't leave us in that. He he never ignores a lamenting prayer. He meets the lamentor. He brings them through that. It says he even gives them a new song, which is where my next book was birthed out of, because that's the good news is lament is not the final language for a Christian, but it will be a language that all of us have here on earth. Mm, that's so, so good. So, so good. And I think I think it's where we find his mercy and where we find his grace. Um, I was thinking about, you know, throughout scripture, God says, cry out to me. You know, David says, pour out your heart. And yet we're so slow to do it. I think, I think we're, don't you think we're afraid of the grief? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I will tell you, this was, this has been the hardest thing for me to learn. I mean, this is not normal for me. This is not natural for me. I'm a, I'm a, a busy person, a high producer. I, uh, I like results, you know, I don't like sitting in my emotions. And so um, this was a spiritual discipline of saying, wait a second here, if God's people who have gone before me have lamented, and if that is such an important part of really the Hebrew scriptures, all of Christianity, how am I serving the body of Christ if I'm not letting them into my laments? Like, how am I as a minister of the gospel going to impact if I'm just showing the highlight reel of my life and not letting people into the questions and the struggle that I have, but it's difficult. And I, but here's what I want to say to listeners is that God doesn't leave you in that. You know, so many times I was afraid to like, let it all out. Cause I was, I was like, what's going to happen. I mean, and what am I going to become? And maybe I won't ever stop crying. I mean, if I hadn't cried about my father leaving for 20 years, like maybe if I start crying about it, it will never stop. But it does, it does stop. And I will say the book of Psalms gave me such a beautiful pattern for that because it's not like a formula. Like it's not like you lament and then it's over, but God brings you through a lament in so many different creative ways. And sometimes it's a vow of praise that gets you out. Sometimes he gives you the ability to be thankful for something in the middle of it. And that gets you out. Uh, sometimes he just lifts your eyes to heaven and you, your faith is renewed and you're like, I'm going to get through this. You have a new confidence, but there's different ways that God brings you through the other side of lament and he doesn't keep you in it. But the enemy wants to say, you're going to stay there. You're going to be a mess. You're going to lose all your friends. You're going to lose your job. I mean, I was really afraid of losing my job. And, um, 
And I didn't, you know, God was gracious to me and gave me the space to lament. And he met me in that. Well, and the crazy thing is, is if we're not willing to go there, we're really stuck there. We we think that we're hiding it, but it's going to come out sideways. It just, it always will. And, you know, I was looking at Psalms 51, 17, where David says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. And we keep thinking it's the places where we have it all together, but it's really those places where we feel broken, where we've messed up or, or something has been done to us and we're so traumatized. We can bring those broken pieces to the Lord. And he can bring true healing, not just sweep it under the rug, not just fake it till you make it, but that deep healing. However, it takes time, doesn't it? It does take time. You know, I love that you opened Psalm 51 because I have my Bible here open to Psalm 55. And it says, I call to God and the Lord saves me evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. And I think that that was, that was a surprise to me is that the healing doesn't come overnight all the time. Sometimes it does and we give God thanks and praise. Um, But a lot of times it's persevering through sometimes even years and fighting for healing, but it's worth it. You becoming a whole person and God meeting you in your distress is worth it. It's worth, you know, sticking it out in those tough times. And like I said, this, this process for me was about a 10 year process. Um, and, and at the end, towards the end, I was actually even surprised by my healing. I think Mm -hmm. it was just, I was hanging in there for so long and asking God every day for his mercy and his strength and his grace. And we should be praying that way every day anyways, (laughs) but it was, it was just for years and years and years. And then when I was on the other side of it, I was actually surprised. Like God really did bring me through healing. And um, he really did sustain me and he really was with me. And I have testimonies of him being with me in those 10 years of difficulty. But now I don't look at life as like, I'm over that. I'm just like, okay, those tools are going to help me in the next season of difficulty. (laughs) Like those tools are going to help me um, hopefully not be so caught off guard with the next storm that comes. Um, and hopefully I can rely and remember his faithfulness to me when I was really faithless um, and and pull from those tools that he taught me. Well, and I think the thing I've learned in my own journey to healing is that God is so kind. He takes us at a pace we can go. And so that healing, yes, it takes longer than we want. I want the magic wand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me too. And God's going, no, we're just going to deal kind of like an onion. You know, it's like, let's deal with this layer. And just because sometimes, you know, sometimes something will come back up and I'm like, but wait a minute, we just dealt with that. And the Lord's like, no, no, what, what was accomplished was accomplished, but there's just a deeper place. And I think I love where your second book goes because it doesn't, you know, I know in your first book, you you bring us to that healing place as well. But it's almost like as we are able to walk through that lament and we're able to get honest about our pain, then all of a sudden space opens for something new. Can you tell us about the new book? Sure. You know, I I ended the first book um, 
with, well, one of the teachings was about the new song that God gives us a new song. And that comes from the book of Psalms um, chapter 40. And that new song comes after a time of despair or after a time of distress. So we're able to sing about God. We're able to proclaim something about God after a time of despair. If we don't skip over it, like, you know, like you Mm -hmm. said, sometimes it takes a long time, but if, if we stay with God in that trial and we let him do his work, we can proclaim things about him that we couldn't have previously sung. And so the first book ends in a way that there's no, there's no circumstantial changes that have happened in my life. I mean, I'm still running from my biological father. I'm still owed a lot of money with business when I was taken advantage of. Um, I was still at odds with um, people that I didn't want to be at odds with. I mean, it, it was just like, okay, but my faith is intact. So praise God. Um, but but the second book is hopefully going to take that reader through what is life post-lament and how do we begin to live out of that new song. And one of the things that God does um, is give us a new name in the midst of a trial. You look at mm-hmm. Jacob wrestling with God and he's renamed to Israel. Um, You look at even Abraham and Sarah who are given new names. Um, Even when they were disobedient, they were given new names because God names us for what he wants us to become, not out of our sin. And so I just started studying these name changes all throughout scripture. They're all different. Again, it's not a one size fits all like we sometimes want our Christianity to be. But these name changes are, are very different and they're very meaningful. And I realize that God has new names for us on the other side of the trial. And that's what I want the reader to have hope for. That yes, have the courage to lament and stay with God for however long it takes <laughs> um, to get through that lamenting season, but have hope that that is not your final song and that God has new things for you on the other side. And God's all about new. I mean, there's not just new names in scripture. We follow a new covenant. You know, there's a new Testament. We're new creations. He puts a new spirit in us. He gives us a new heart. So there's tons of new themes in scripture um, for the people that have gone through a trial. And that's where I want to give hope to the reader that the lament won't be their final song. I love that. I love that. Well, and it occurs to me, you know, for me at least, that period of getting honest and making myself available for the Lord, it it was a journey of healing. It wasn't like it was as I went through the lament, he was healing me. As I was going, making myself available, he was giving a new song. And I, you know, so we talk about it taking a long time. And yet I would just encourage those listening, the moment you open your heart to God's work, the healing has begun. Absolutely. And I would just say too, that you become a person of depth. You know, you, you, I mean, when you stop rushing yourself through a trial, like, what am I supposed to learn? I want this to be done, you know, and just when you stop rushing yourself, you're going to stop rushing other people. And I think we just need to learn how to be more kind to ourselves and to slow down and let the spirit do his work and not despise the work that he's doing and not compare the work he's doing in our life to somebody else's work. You know how to teach on that better than anyone. And, um, (laughs) and, and, and not to just despise those seasons that God is transforming us and it's for his glory. And I just say, when you go through lamenting seasons, you you have a different compassion 
for other people going through challenging times. And that's worth something, not just to God, but that's worth something to a hurting world when we can just weep with others as we're called to do. And we, when we can stop trying to fix everyone and fix yes. their problems and just remember that we need sometimes a ministry of presence and just being present with people in their distress and crying with them. And I mean, I think that that's, that's what the Jewish people modeled really well. And that's why when scripture says, weep with those who weep and celebrate with those who celebrate, it wasn't foreign to them because they were living in such close community that they wanted to care for each other in the lament and in the celebrations. And I think we've got to get back to that in our Christian churches. That's so true. So true. In your new book, you talk about the story of Ruth and how um, her mother-in-law, Naomi, had, you know, they'd gone to the, to the other country and her hu- husband died, her sons died, and she renamed herself Mara, which means bitter. Uh, and you talked about how she renamed herself too soon. And I think that that's so easy to do in that period of lament, to just assume that that's just who we are. This is how we're always going to be. What do we need to do rather than labeling ourselves? How, because I love this. I love your subtitle for your new book, Your New Name, Saying Goodbye to the Labels That Limit. Well, I love that you ask about the story of Ruth because the whole book was actually birthed out of that book. When I when I started studying it, I realized that the book of Ruth was written, and it's a story really about three widows. And um, I just think, do we look at that enough? Do we look at how these courageous women lived and honored God in the midst of grief. And um, so, yeah, so Naomi's um, original name actually means sweet or pleasant. And so when she faced these dire circumstances of her husband and sons dying, which is is just a time of lament for anyone, even in, in 2020 going through that, um, that is a time of lament. But she she renames herself and calls herself bitter, but she's renaming herself off of her circumstances. And I felt like God said to me, how many times have you renamed yourself based on your circumstances? And I ne- that's not how I name you. Mm-hmm. So whether your listeners are divorced or single or widowed, I mean, that their relationship status or their circumstance is not the new name that God gives them. That's not how God names us. And so if you read the rest of the book, you realize that that lamenting time was not the end of Naomi's story, that that actually God does give her a grandchild. You know, some theologians say part of her grief could have been grieving that she would never have a grandchild. Mm-hmm. Um, she felt like her line wasn't going to continue. And so here at the end of the book, God gives her a grandchild. And um, she realizes that she's not bitter anymore, that that's not her name. And so as I started studying these name changes in scripture, I realized that God doesn't give us permission to name ourselves Hmm. in the middle of a trial. Uh, We are to persevere in the middle of a trial. We're to pray in the middle of a trial, but we are not to take on a new name as our identity. Um, And even looking as that as an isolated incident of how God sees us, God cared for Naomi, God cared for Ruth, God cared for them in the midst of their trial and did not want to name them out of their distress. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about that woman on the other end of this podcast who feels very labeled. She 
feels like a failure. She feels like uh, a victim. She feels like um, abused, unwanted, betrayed. I think, I just think how incredible it is that the Lord and you allowed the Lord to walk you through healing because, boy, you had a lot of labels put on you, not only by yourself, but by other people. Do you think God has a new name for all of us? I do. I do. I believe it's part of our testimony. I, some of our new names, I think, are right in front of us. You know, God named me Esther. I never I never took meaning to that. But gosh, as I started studying the life of Esther, I realized she was an orphan too, and God used her, and she was courageous, and I could be the same. And so the name right in front of me began taking meaning. But uh, yeah, I, I labeled myself orphaned and damaged goods and not lovable. Um, you know, some of your listeners might have labeled themselves divorced or widowed or single, you know, and they want to be married. Um, I believe that God has a new name for every single one of us. Sometimes they're right in front of us. Sometimes like Jacob, we go through a season of wrestling to find out what that new name is. Um, and sometimes God will speak to us through his word about this is how I see you. I call you a saint. I call you righteous. I call you forgiven. I call you clean. But those new names are woven throughout scripture and are available to us to start living out of. And it makes a difference when you start living out of your new name. It makes a difference with how you relate to God and with how you relate to others. But I would say even in the church, and I love the church, maybe we've even created groups around labels. You know, maybe we've mm-hmm. said, okay, this is the single parent group. Um, and so we're almost reinforcing some of these labels that that's not how God sees people. <laughs> you know, God doesn't see a single mom as just a single mom. God has um, plans for that woman. God wants to provide for that woman. God will provide for that woman and her children. And so I wonder how we could do a better job in the church recognizing the new names that God wants to give people instead of kind of living out of these labels that I think fall short of who God calls us to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of those labels, you know, at least for me, have been self-inflicted and they come out of what I feel, mm-hmm. what I witness about myself, what I am not, rather than what who I am in Christ and what I can become in Christ. And I love that you, you know, that you mentioned that God named them before, (laughs) before it came true. He, he renamed Abram and Sarai. He gave them a new name beforehand. How, how do we, how do we let go of those old labels and begin to pick up the labels, as you mentioned, so many beautiful ones, those new labels that God says about us. I, I'm glad you asked the question because I think um, it's work that not all of us want to do. <laughs> but I think um, we've got to identify what those labels are. And we've just, we've got to identify them and maybe share them with somebody, share them with a trusted person or share them with your spouse or share them with a pastor you know, I believed this about myself. I remember living with a family when um, I was going through the severe stalking years and I just felt so orphaned by God. I felt so forgotten. I felt benched. I felt like he was never going to use me again. I felt unloved. And I remember they would try to pull that out of me. What are you feeling right now? What are you believing about yourself? Because again, those false beliefs become belief systems. 
And, um, and so I needed the help of others to identify those labels and to help pull me out of that, to help see the truth that I was being provided for, even though I, I wanted that to mean the stalking stopped. I was being provided for by these families letting me live with them. And so I was safe. Um, but we've got it, you know, at the end of each chapter, I, I have a list of labels and a list of new names because I think it's so foreign for us to self-reflect over what are we believing versus who does God say we are. And I hope that that's just a good starting point for the reader to say, I'm going to circle these ones. Like, this is what I'm believing about myself. Maybe even subconsciously, you've believed that you weren't good enough for 20 years. Um, or maybe you're in a hard marriage and and that. A hard marriage is hard to live through. And so if you're in a hard marriage, what are you believing about yourself as a result? And do you believe that God is still with you and that God still loves you and that you still have his favor? But I would say it takes um, it takes intentionality. It's not just going to happen that you identify these labels and start living out of your new name. And And most of the time, we will need help living and believing out of who God says we really are. And that's the beauty of the church and the body of Christ is that we don't, we're not called to live out of these things alone. We, we need reminders and we need help and there's no shame in that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, I've had to really do a lot of internal work. God's just kind of brought some things to the surface. Um, you know, the label that I've kind of put on myself the weakest link, you know, mm-hmm. that, um, because I know my inadequacies. And so I, I know God wants to use me, but sometimes I believe that, well, I'm not enough. I'm not either. I'm not enough or I'm just too much. Yes. <laughs> and both of those are lies. And I think what's so wonderful is when we just open our heart to the light of the Holy spirit, we don't have to go digging and we don't have to go trying to find those lies. We can just invite the Holy Spirit to reveal. And he only reveals so he can heal. And so when God does put his finger on those spots and those lies, we we kind of push back because we really do believe they're true. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I look at my track record and I go, well, pff, yeah, yeah, I, I have failed before. So here I am failing again. I must be a failure. And God says, no, Joanna, this is my process that I'm working in you. And you look at it as a big mistake. And as something really wrong, I look at it as an opportunity to meet you in the middle of your pain, meet you in the middle of your inadequacy. And I think so often we're pushing that away. We're pushing it away. We're saying, I can't, I I don't deserve that kind of grace. So we don't accept that kind of grace. And I've, I'm just trying to learn how to stop living by what I feel and start living by what God says to me. How, you know, it's really interesting that in the space between your first book and your second book, you actually did get a new name. And tell us a little bit about that. I did. You know, let me first, if that's okay, I just want to touch on the label that you've struggled with, the weakest link. I would never in a million years guess that that's a label that you struggle with. So, Thank you for voicing that. But something happens when you voice the label that you've believed. And I realize as I'm stepping into launching this next book, 
Like I've been struggling with that myself and I couldn't even pinpoint it, but why did I feel inadequate to do different podcasts? And why do I feel like I wish I had more years with this content before I taught on it? And I just, I don't know if I'm equipped for this. And so there's something that happens when you share your label it allows somebody else to see where they're believing a lie or where they're believing a label. And, you know, Satan is just not creative. Yes. The enemy is just not creative. And so he is lying to all of us. And many times it's in a similar way. And so that brings freedom, Joanna. When you just shared label that you're struggling with, that helped me pinpoint what I've been struggling with this week, this very week. And that's how the body of Christ and sisters can operate to help one another. Um, so I just, I wanted to say that first. <laughs> I hope that's okay. I Thank you. That's cool. <laughs> um, and then guess just as far as my new name physically, actually, not just spiritually, did I get a new name, but I got a new physical name, you know, um, as I was going through really difficult, uh, years with, um, with being on the run from my biological father, I, I ended up having to resign um, from my career. I was just so emotionally done. <laughs> like I just, I didn't have the strength anymore. And I really was feeling disconnected from God. And I've always connected to God uh, really through, through my emotions. I'm a feeler, but I really hadn't felt him for years. And so again, knowing the word of God and loving the word of God, I realized that part of worshiping God is also with my mind. So I thought, well, if I'm not feeling God, I'm going to go worship him with my mind because I don't know what else to do. So I ended up going to Oxford University and um, studying theology. And what was interesting, this is before I'm even writing this newest book, obviously, but I just felt like God was wanting me to believe that I was his bride. Hmm. And I was, I was well into my thirties and single. I, I really had not dated much. I was, uh, very, very guarded and didn't want, I mean, I just didn't want to date. Um, but I just felt like God was saying like, you are my bride. And, and even so much so that he was so tender to say, you are going to be a good bride one day because you are a good bride to me. And it really, God was just ministering to me about this new name bride. And um, so I went over to Oxford to study and uh, lo and behold, uh, there was a a man there and, um, and we began dating never in a million years that I think I was going to start dating somebody overseas or even meet someone. That's not what I was looking for. But because God was speaking to me so tenderly about how I was a bride, I was able to start receiving this gift of dating, which then led to engagement, which then led to marriage, because I had let God do that work inside of my heart first. Mm. So, you know, I have a little concern that people might read the book and think, oh, you know, well, she's married now, so everything's okay. Because sometimes in certain Christian circles, we can tend to put marriage you know, as an idol. And I don't want to do that. It's not an idol. Marriage has been a gift from God. Um, I love my husband, but I'm so thankful that God was showing me where I'm a bride to him. And in doing so, he allowed me to receive the gift of marriage here physically as well. So um, that that's just a fun name change that I do share about in the book and uh, that I have a new physical last name, Alan, as well. So yeah. And mama has been uh, added to the repertoire. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, I have to say, because probably because I was single, just going into my thirties 
and I had worked for marriage and family ministries and I'd worked for churches that I was like, I'm never going to be the person that gets up there and speaks on marriage and family because I don't want to forget all the singles. But then sure enough, I mean, what have been the tools to sanctify me more than anything? And it's been marriage and children. (laughs) And so um, I actually do talk about in the book, choosing my son's name and the process of choosing our son's name and what it meant and how we felt led to the name Asa. And um, as we studied Asa in the Bible, he was a good king. There were wonderful verses written about King Asa, but realizing that the name means healer. And so Mm -hmm. since he's been born, how God has used my one-year-old son to help heal my heart and the fears that I had and the inadequacies inadequacies that I had and the insecurities that I had, um, God has used him to help heal me. And so goodness, just realizing the power that we have to live out of our new names and then the power that we have to help rename future generations. I mean, that that's incredible. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, God is so, I I think that I, my favorite name for Jesus is redeemer that he takes everything, everything that the enemy means for evil all of the shame, all of all of the hurt and betrayal, all of the abandonment, everything that the world would say should destroy us, God actually uses and he redeems it for our lives. And I just think of that woman out there that is like, yeah, I don't know that my story is ever going to have that happy ending. I would just say, oh, don't miss, don't miss the gift of that God wants to give you right in the middle of your pain. Because I'm I'm sure you, you know, even though there were those times where you felt so alone and all you had was the lament, to know that God is carrying us through it all, whether we see him or not. When you think of that girl who um was shut down in her pain like you were, um, that maybe she's walking through some of the trauma uh, that you felt um, as your father was stalking you. What would you say to that girl? I would say that I am sorry for what you're facing and you are not alone. Even when you feel alone, even when you think you're alone, you are not alone and that God sees you and it says that he meets us when we are in distress Um, that he stoops down to listen to us, that our God is so tender. And so even when we feel forgotten, we're not. Even when we feel forsaken, we're not. And for me personally, I needed to tell someone when I was feeling those things because it was really easy for me to stay stuck in my own thoughts and just downward spiral. And so sometimes we have to just go to somebody around us. And and this is when it becomes hard, right? Because some not everyone knows how to deal with our pain. But there will be somebody, I believe there will be somebody that God places in your life that is not overwhelmed by your pain, that is not turned away by your pain or turned off by your pain. And God will help use them to walk you through whatever you're facing. So I would just say, you don't have to do this alone. God doesn't call you to live life alone. And for whatever circumstance you're facing that caused this kind of pain, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And that God does not want to leave you in this state of brokenness. And I wouldn't even say, oh, God's going to use it for his glory. Because sometimes when people would say that to me, I thought, I just want the pain to stop. <laughs> like, I just, I mean, that's a great, you know, side note, but that I just want the pain to stop. And I just yeah. want to say to the listeners, like, one day the pain will stop. You know, 
it doesn't say that there's no tears in heaven. It says that, it says that God wipes away our tears. And so in the meantime, he is collecting your tears in a bottle. He's mm. not strategizing about your tears. Like, oh, I'm glad she's going through this so that I can use it in this way. Like he's collecting your tears. He is with you right now and he wants to meet you in your pain. And hopefully, hopefully that gives a listener hope that they won't, they won't be in this season forever. Amen. Amen. I really think one of the enemy's biggest weapons against us is to make us feel that God must be mad at us, that God must have forgotten us. But I have found, you know, just keep being reminded of um, my son who five years old, he had to have his adenoids and tonsils out. And as he was coming out of the anesthesia, um, like some children do, he had a terrible reaction. And so just very, very frightened, very um, just agitated. And he kept saying, mommy, mommy, mommy. And he kept mm. reaching out. And I was right there in front of him and I was holding him and I was trying to comfort him, but he couldn't see me. And I just, that story, I just can't get away from it because I feel like so many times in the middle of our pain, our God receptors just kind of go, go off. We're so overwhelmed by our pain that he feels so far away. And I just, just want you to know, girls, he's right there. He's right there. He's right in the middle of it. He, I, I love the story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, my girls, and how Jesus didn't, he didn't say sh shape up girls. He didn't say suck up. He, we're told in John 11 that Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. He got down there. He knew how the story was going to end, but he got down there in the middle of the pain and he held those women and he mourned with them. And we've got a God who loves us just as much. And um, I would just love it, Esther, Would as we close, if you would just pray over every single one of us. You know, we've got those girls who have gone through horrible trauma. But we've also got those good girls like me who haven't really faced the level of pain that others have faced. And yet we're just as shut down. We're just as distant from the love of God and the new name that he wants to have and give, for, give to us. Would you pray for each of those women? Absolutely. Lord, we love you and we want to come before you today, praying Psalm 40, that we will wait patiently for you, Lord, that you will turn to us and hear our cry and you will lift us out of the slimy pit and out of the mud and the mire, and you will set our feet on a rock and give us a firm place to stand. Father, we need that. We need you to give us the patience and the perseverance to hang in there in this life. We need you to give us courage. We need wisdom from you, Lord. We need community from you. We are dependent on you for everything, including our very breath. And Father, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would lift us out of this pit. Whether we put ourselves in the pit or somebody else has put us in there, Lord, we ask that you would be with us and that you would help us to come out of this pit, that you would lift our eyes to focus on you and to see you more clearly, Father, that you would provide people around us to help lift up our arms when we are weak. And Father, that we would realize pain is pain and that you don't have scales for pain, but you want all of our pain to be brought to you. And so Lord, help us today to bring our pain to you, to bring our disappointment to you. And Lord, meet us in that, Lord. Be every single one of us, Lord, and transform us. Give us a new song, a new heart. Put your spirit inside of us, Lord, 
And please don't waste this pain. Please don't waste the trial. Please don't waste any of it, Lord. But most important, keep us in relationship with you, Lord. Thank you for Joanna and this wonderful ministry, Father, and be with her listeners today. Give them courage and hope that you make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Oh, you guys. I hope you felt the tender love of God in today's episode. I hope you'll find some time at the end to just crawl up in his arms and allow him to just peel away all those sticky labels that have limited you and that you'll take time to pour out the limits that have kept you away from his love. I've just sensed so strongly that God wants to speak something to your heart today from his heart. In Jeremiah 31, 13 through 14, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt. I don't know who that's for today, but I sense God is wanting to speak to someone's heart, perhaps perhaps even to someone who has not yet accepted Jesus as their Savior. Did you know that God wants to make you into the very best version you could ever be, the version He's always intended. And all we have to do is just simply confess that we need what He has offered. So would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, um, we just confess how much we need You. We've tried to live life on our own, but we've come to realize how much we need a Savior. Thank You, Lord, for making a way for us to come home to God, to accept that what You did on the cross was enough to pay the payment for our sin, for our shame, for our regret. Forgive us and make us new, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's that simple, my friend. Oh, living it out will be a little bit more difficult, but I'm telling you, when you prayed that prayer, or perhaps you recommitted your wandering heart today, well, you've been welcomed back home into the arms of your Father. And if you'll allow it, He wants to whisper a new name over your heart today. Beloved, chosen, precious child. And He not only wants to give you a new name, He wants to make you into a new creation, fully forgiven and fully empowered to live and love and lead like Jesus.